Hello, this is the podcast of Chesbro Baptist Church, continuing in our series on avoiding confusion. This morning, we're discussing the deity of Jesus Christ. Probably no more confusion today is in existence than the confusion that exists when it comes to who is Jesus. And that's the title of this morning's message, Who is Jesus? Please enjoy. All righty, take your Bibles this morning and turn to John chapter 1, John chapter 1. Once again, if, if you're just right, raise your hand. If, you, if ever the temperature feels just right, raise your hand. If you're warm, raise your hand. Got a couple just right. If you're cold, raise your hand. If you want me to quit asking you questions, raise your hand. Okay. All right. I think the just rights have it. All right. See, we come to a consensus. John chapter 1. We've been going through a Sunday morning series entitled Avoiding Confusion. Avoiding Confusion. And we've talked about several subjects so far, but I think this is one of the most important subjects that we can talk about because there has been much confusion on this person who is called Jesus Christ. We're going to clear up some of that confusion this morning. If you have your places in John chapter 1, one last time, I'm going to ask you to stand in respect and reverence to the Word of God. We'll read the Scripture, pray, and then sit back down. We're going to read four verses. We're going to begin reading in John chapter 1 and verse number 1. In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. He was in the beginning with God. All things came into being through him, and apart from him nothing came into being that has come into being. In him was life, and the life was the light of men. Go ahead and skip down to verse number 14. And the word became flesh and dwelt among us, and we saw his glory. Glory as of the only begotten from the Father, full of grace and truth. The title of the message this morning is The Deity of Jesus Christ, or another title is Who is Jesus? Who is Jesus? Let's pray. Dear gracious Heavenly Father, I am not worthy to stand behind this pulpit and preach about your person. Lord, I pray that you would give my feeble tongue the words. I pray the Spirit of God would speak through uh, your servant today, I pray that we all, myself included, would open our hearts and minds to what the Scripture has to say about your Son, Jesus. Lord, I pray that you would be with us today. I pray that we would glorify and lift up your name. For I ask this in the name of Jesus Christ, the Messiah, the Son of God. Amen. You may be seated. One day, Jesus took his servants, took his apostles to a place called Caesarea Philippi. Caesarea Philippi is known today as the Golan Heights. And our president just recognized this territory as a part of Israel, the Golan Heights. 
But this is Caesarea Philippi. And so here at Caesarea Philippi, there is a big wall here at this place. In this great wall at Caesarea Philippi are these shelves in the wall. And what the Romans used to do is they would take their idols and they would put their idols inside of the shelf and in this great wall. They'd have an idol of Zeus. They'd have another idol of these other gods put in these shelves at Caesarea Philippi. In Matthew 16, 13, he is, uh, Jesus is with his disciples and he asked them a very pointed question. He asked him a question looking at this wall, at the place where this wall was. And the question that Jesus asked his, his, his disciples was this, whom do men say that I am? Now Peter answered uh, this question. If you know anything about your Bible, you understand that Peter likes to stick his foot in his mouth. Peter stuck his foot in his mouth probably more than any other disciple. Uh, but let me tell you something about this particular instance. Peter got it just right. Peter got it just right. He said, thou art the Christ, the Son of the living God. And when Peter answered that question, he hit the nail right on the head. Jesus is the Christ. What is the Christ? The Christ is the anointed one. The Christ is the Messiah that the Old Testament prophesied. He is the Messiah. He is the anointed one. He is the one who is to be our Savior. Now many people today will call him a prophet Many people today will call him a good man. Many people today will call him a moral teacher. Many people today will call him, uh, this, he's this some legendary person. Other people will call him an imposter. Other people will call him a fake. Other people will say, no, he was not the anointed one. Many years ago, Larry King was celebrating his 40th year in journalist broadcasting. And in celebrating his 40th year, Larry King was interviewed. And he was interviewed by Bryant Gumbel. One of the questions that he asked Larry King was this. He said, Larry, if you could interview God, what would you, what would you ask him after Emily sneezed? What would you ask him? And Larry King looked at Bryant Gumbel and said, I would ask him, do you have a son and what is his name? Even Larry King understands the most important question. Now, I want to remind you, Larry King is, a, is an agnostic. He's an agnostic, but even he knows the most important question to ask. He knows the most important thing to know is the identity of Jesus Christ. Now, even if you study this out, you go to the River Jordan and you see how Jesus was baptized by John the Baptist and he comes straightway up out of the water and a voice came down from heaven and the voice said, this is my beloved son in whom I'm well pleased. And I'm here, I'm here to tell you today, friend, that if God the Father says that this is my son, that is good enough for me. It is good enough that God the Father said that this is my beloved Son. And that settles it in my heart. 
John 20, verse 31, But these have been written so that you may believe that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of God, and that by believing you may have life in His name. I'm here to tell you today, friend, that the central focus of that book right there is the Lord Jesus Christ. Almost every page in this book is referencing uh, Jesus. Every single book in this Bible talks about the Son of God. Even in the Old Testament, Jesus is the central focus of this book. And you know what's another central focus of this book? His redemptive plan. What is Jesus' plan for redemption? So this morning what we're going to do is we're going to take a look at three facets of the Lord Jesus Christ. Three facets of the Lord Jesus Christ. And we want to avoid the confusion that is around this planet concerning this man, who he is, and what he came here to do. Point number one this morning is we have the revelation of Christ. The revelation of Christ. My first sub-point under that is Christ is eternal God. Did you hear that this morning? Christ is eternal God. John 1, 1. In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. Christ is eternal God. That word, the, the word there, that's the Greek word logos. And that means that we are dealing with a living, breathing word. Jesus is the word and the word was God and the word is Jesus Christ. I want you to see here in John 1, we, we, John 1, 1, we see Jesus's relationship to eternity. You see, Jesus is put in this verse in the context of time. And it says, in the beginning was the word. So when time began, when time was created, Jesus already was. That verb was. It means that when time came into being, Jesus already was. And that makes sense because space and time are the same thing. So when you create space, you create time. It comes into existence at the same time. But before that happened, before let there be light was uttered, Jesus was. Okay, so Jesus is an eternal being, and only God is eternal. Jesus pre-existed time, so Jesus is God. Okay, in fact, every single divine attribute that can be applied to God the Father can be applied to God the Son, can be applied to Jesus Christ. He is all-knowing. He is all-powerful. He is everywhere at once. And in John, we see that he is an eternal being. Isaiah 43 10 you are my witness declares the Lord and my servant whom I have chosen so that ye may know and believe me and understand that I am he before me there was no God formed and there will be none after me John 8 58 Jesus said to them truly truly I say to you before Abraham was born I am Jesus is eternal God. But we also see his relation to God the Father here. Verse 1, in the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. I want you to see in that verse it said that he was with God. What does that word with mean? It means that Jesus was face to face 
with God. Before time, Jesus was face to face, face to face with the Father. What does that mean? It means that they are equal. It means that God the Father and God the Son are equal beings. John is describing Jesus as the cause of everything. Jesus is the cause of everything. He is the reason why everything exists. He is face to face equal with God. This is a wonderful truth. God the Father and God the Son are separate persons, but they are the one same true God. Let me read you a quote. The eternality and deity of Christ are inseparably linked together. So I'm here to tell you this morning that Christ is an eternal God. But you know another thing I want to tell you this morning? I'm here to tell you this morning that Christ is manifest in the flesh. Christ is manifest in the flesh. Verse 14, And the Word became flesh and dwelt among us, and we saw His glory. Glory is of the only Son from the Father, full of grace and truth. This is a wonderful, this is an amazing truth. And we celebrate this at Christmas time, do we not? The Word became flesh, deity wrapped in humanity. Philippians 2, 6 and 6 through 8. Who, as he already existed in the form of God, did not consider equality with God something to be grasped but emptied himself by taking the form of a bondservant and being born in the likeness of men and being found in appearance as a man. He humbled himself by becoming obedient to the point of death, death on a cross. Jesus, who is eternal God, took the form of a man. Word became flesh, deity wrapped in humanity, God amongst us. You see, listen, God isn't just some far off, untouchable, unattaining being. God came here and he manifested himself to us. He walked on this earth. He struggled our struggles. He felt our pain. He walked on our streets so that we may call to him. This was a literal manifestation. Christ literally came to this world. Aren't you glad for that this morning? It was a prophesied manifestation. Isaiah chapter 7 and verse number 14. Therefore the Lord himself will give you a sign. Behold, the virgin will conceive and give birth to a son, and she will name him Emmanuel, which being interpreted is God with us. You see, Jesus, when Jesus came, it was prophesied how he would come, when he would come, where he would come. And all this, all the whole, the whole word of God tells us that God would be with us. Do you understand this morning that there are many minor prophecies, but you understand that there are 60 major prophecies. 60 of them in the Old Testament concerning the coming Messiah. 60 major prophecies. Now, what, is that, what does that mean? Well, let me tell you this morning that Jesus, when he came, he fulfilled every single prophecy. Now, let me, let me show you the probability of that. Let's just say, let's say he only fulfilled eight of them. 
only fulfilled eight of them. Do you know what the probability is of Jesus fulfilling only eight of the 60 prophecies? The probability of Jesus fulfilling just eight of them, not all 60, but just all eight is one times 10 to the 17th power. Now, the doctor who came up with that, with that math was a doctor named Peter Stoner. You can go look him up. Peter Stoner not only came up with that math, but he also gave us a thought experiment for us to understand how big that number really is. So here's the probability of Jesus fulfilling just eight of the 60 prophecies. That's 10 to the 17th power. Is if you took the whole state of Texas and you took silver dollars and you covered the whole state of Texas in silver dollars two feet thick. You took one of those silver dollars and you put a mark on it. And then you mixed them all up. And then you took a man and you blindfolded him. And you said, you can walk out as far as you want to walk in whatever direction you want to walk in. But whenever you decide to, you have to bend down and pick up the silver dollar with the mark on it on the first try. The probability of that happening is the same probability as Jesus fulfilling just eight of those 60 prophecies. And he didn't fulfill just eight. He fulfilled every single one. The, you know, uh, Jesus, the probability of Jesus not being the Messiah is mathematically impossible. I'm here to tell you this morning, he came with a physical manifestation. He came with a prophesized manifestation. But he also comes with a perfect manifestation. Hebrews 4.15, for we do not have a high priest who cannot sympathize with our weakness, but one who has been tempted in all things, just as we are, yet without sin. If you remember anything about Jesus, I want you to remember this, that he is without sin. He is perfect. He is without sin. Many may deny his deity. Many may degrade his person. But I'm here to tell you today that Jesus is not the sinner. We are the sinner. He is the perfect son of God. And churches, there are some churches today that would try to be, bring Jesus down to our level, make Jesus a sinner, uh, make him portray him as a sinner. That way he would be more relatable uh, to, to people. But, but Jesus is not someone who condones sin so that people would come to him. That is not Jesus. That is not him. Jesus is high and Jesus is lifted up and we're the sinners and to portray Jesus as a sinner is heresy it's blasphemy and we need to get like Jeremiah and when we look at Jesus Jesus needs to be high and lifted up and we need to say woe unto us of unclean lips and let me tell you something about our country until our country sees Jesus as high and lifted up and see ourselves as sinner, repentance will not come to this country. Repentance will not come to this country. This country will not be saved. This country will not have revival. Repentance will not come until we lift him up and we call ourselves sinners like we really are.
repentance won't come to this nation. Yes, he came down. Yes, he was made flesh. But even though he was made flesh, he was still God. Yes, he was 100% man, but he was also, he never ceased being perfect, sinless God. What did Pontius Pilate say about him? I find no fault in him. Number two this morning, we have the redemption through Christ. The redemption through Christ. Why did Jesus come? He came. Okay, we get it. He came. Why did he come? To bring us salvation. That's why he came. 1 John 4, verse 9. By this the love of God was revealed in us, that God has sent his only Son into the world so that we may live through him. In this, in, in this is love, not that we love God, but that he loved us and sent his Son to be the propitiation for our sins. The word propitiation means covering. God knew that we would need a covering for our sin. Why? For all have sinned and come short of the glory of God. There is none righteous, no, not one. Jesus came to be our sacrifice. He came to be our sacrifice. Luke 19, 10. For the Son of Man has come to seek and to save that which was lost. What's the purpose of his coming? His purpose of coming was me. His purpose for coming was you. That was his purpose. But not only do we see his purpose, we see his payment. But God commendeth his love toward us in that while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. The blood that was shed on that cross was in payment for our sin. The purpose was salvation. His payment was, our, was his death. But then we have a promise. You know what that promise is? That promise is that anyone who turns to Jesus for salvation can have it. Any person. It doesn't matter what your background is. It doesn't matter what you've done in the past. It doesn't matter what color your skin is. It doesn't matter what nation you're from. It doesn't, nothing, none of that matters. It doesn't matter what religion you are. It doesn't matter the name that's on, on the outside of your church building. Anyone can turn to Jesus and be saved. None of that other stuff matters. It's all about Jesus. John 14, 6, Jesus saith unto him, I am the way, I am the truth, the life. No man cometh unto the Father but by me. Acts 4, 12, neither is there salvation in any other, for there is none other name under heaven given among men whereby we must be saved. Do not be fooled by polytheism. Do not be fooled by this idea that all roads lead to heaven. I'm sorry to tell you today, heaven isn't an interstate with a whole bunch of different exits that all lead to the same place. No, the Bible just says straight is the gate and narrow is the way that leadeth unto salvation salvation and few there be there that find it because Jesus is the way Jesus is the life Jesus is the truth and you are not going to get to God through anybody else Amen. that way is the way of the cross of Jesus Jesus is the way Jesus made the sacrifice so that our sins may be covered but guess what it didn't stop there it didn't stop there because you know but before he died, 
Do you know what he said before he died? He said, tear down this temple and in three days I will raise it up again. The Bible says he spoke of his body. The only sign that will be given is the sign of the prophet Jonah. Three days in the belly of the well and then he will rise up again. We serve a resurrected Savior this morning. We serve a risen Savior this morning. You understand this morning that our Savior is superior to every other religious figure on the whole planet. Why? Because our Savior is a risen Savior. And that is why He is superior today. I am so thankful that I serve a risen Savior that my Savior got up and walked out of that tomb up from the grave. And if you're happy this morning that you serve a resurrected Savior, say amen. He is resurrected this morning. Everybody needs to believe in the resurrection. There was a young man. He came to his boss at work and he said, my grandmother died. We're having a funeral tomorrow. I need off work to go to the funeral. The boss said, okay, you can have off. The next time the young man came to work, the boss met him at his workstation and said, let me ask you a question. Do you believe in the resurrection? And the young man said, yes, I do believe in the resurrection. And the boss said, good, because after you left work the other day, your grandma will come by here to see you. So, so, hey, listen, you better believe in the resurrection. Why? Because this Bible says, it is appointed on the man once to die, and after this, the judgment. All of you, including myself, everybody watching on Facebook, everybody right now under the sound of my voice, one day you will stand before God. One day you will stand before God. Every person will stand before God. Everybody in this church, everybody in this community, everybody in government will stand before God. Every Republican will stand before God. Every Democrat will stand before God. Joe Biden and Donald Trump will both stand before God. It doesn't matter what your political affiliation is. It doesn't matter who you voted for. You will stand before God one day. Everybody will. Because it's appointed on a man wants to die. You know, somebody said that the bodily resurrection of Jesus is the crowning proof of Christianity. Do you know this morning, do you understand that if Jesus didn't, if Jesus didn't resurrect, if Jesus didn't come back from the dead, that Christianity is a false religion? But you know, one day when Jesus died, they put him in a garden tomb. But you know what? It wasn't just a garden tomb. You know what else it was? It was a guarded tomb. It was a guarded tomb. Matthew 27, 65. Pilate said unto them, Ye have a watch. Go your way. Make it sure as you can. So they went and made the sepulcher sure, sealing the stone and setting the watch. It was a guarded tomb. They said, We are not going to let anybody take this body. We are not going to let this prophecy come true. So they took a big stone and they put it in front of the tomb. And they put guards in front of the tomb. And I'm here to tell you today that the guard the tomb became the empty tomb. Because on the third day, he rose just as he prophesied. Up 
From the grave, he arose. And we have an empty tomb today. And the women came that, that, that first morning on the resurrection morning. They came to see the place where the Lord lay. And, and, and the angel said, come and see. He is not here anymore. He is risen. 1 Corinthians 15, 5. And he hath appeared to Cephas, then to the twelve. After that, he appeared to more than 500 brothers and sisters at one time, most of whom remain until now, but some have fallen asleep. Then he appeared to James, and then to all the apostles. And last of all, as to one untimely born, he appeared to me also. You understand that people have went through the New Testament, have done the math, and come up with the number that some... 1,500 people saw Jesus after his resurrection. They sat with him. They talked with him. They ate with him. They saw his body transcend through walls. They saw his glorified body ascend to heaven to be with the Father. We serve a risen Savior this morning, my friend. The man in Africa who believed in Islam but then he turned to Jesus Christ. You see, in Islam, he was taught that God had no son. In fact, on the Dome of the Rock, uh, on the Temple Mount in Jerusalem right now, is inscribed on the Dome of the Rock, right where the temple should be, in Arabic, the words, God has no son. He was taught that God has no son. Jesus was a teacher. But he came to know that God does have a son and he is the anointed one and he is the savior and his name is Jesus Christ. His friends came to him underground. They couldn't do it openly. They came to him and they said, why did you become a Christian? They asked him, why did you become a Christian? And this is how he explained it to him. He said, imagine walking down a road and then you come to a fork in the road. On one side is a dead man, and the other side is a living man. Which way would you go? And that's how he explained his salvation experience. I'm glad today that we are following the living Son of God. I am thankful for his revelation, I am thankful for his redemption. But there's one more thing I'm thankful for this morning, for his reunion. I am thankful for his reunion. I'm here to tell you, friend, there is hope in his coming. Jesus isn't some historical figure that we'll never see again. And, and, and sometimes we refer to this as the rapture of the church or the catching away of the believers. Right now we're going through chapters 2 and 3 in the book of Revelation. This coming Tuesday night, we're starting in on chapter 4, verse 1. This is the point of the rapture. Tuesday night, we will study the rapture. We will be in the throne room of God with John. Such an exciting, exciting thing. One day, we will see him face to face. In the Bible, this is called the blessed hope. I want you to turn to John 14. I want you to see this. John 14. We're going to read a few verses in John 14. One day we will see him face to face. John 14. We're going to read, start reading in verse number one. Do not let your heart be troubled. 
believe in God, believe also in me. In my Father's house are many rooms. If that were not so, I would have told you. Because I am going there to prepare a place for you. And if I go and prepare a place for you, I am coming again. And will take you to myself, so that where I am, there you also will be. What a wonderful words in the scripture today. What a wonderful promise from the lips of Jesus Christ himself. He said, if I go and prepare a place for you, I will come again. So many times we worry about earthly things. We worry about our home. We worry about our job. We worry about our car. Oh, today I'm going to go here and tomorrow I'm going to go there. Today I'm going to buy this and tomorrow I'm going to buy that. And we don't live with eternity in mind. We don't live with eternity in mind. If you're saved this morning, one day Jesus is coming back for you. He is coming back for you. 1 Thessalonians 4, verse 16. For the Lord himself will descend from heaven with a shout and with the voice of the archangel and with the trumpet of God and the dead in Christ will rise first. Then we who are alive, who remain, will be caught up together with them in the clouds to meet the Lord in the air. So will we always be with the Lord. The eternal Savior, the sacrificial Savior is the soon coming savior and he's coming for his bride his bride is the church and the church is made up of believers the bible speaks not only about the rapture of the church but the bible also speaks about his second coming so you get confused if you don't know that one happens at the beginning of the tribulation and one happens at the end of the tribulation if you want to know about that we're studying it on wednesday nights plug there okay this little plug there Okay, Tuesday night this week. Okay, but the Bible speaks of the second coming. At the end of the tribulation period, Jesus will come. He will reign. We will rule and reign with him for a thousand years on his earthly throne here on earth. The Bible speaks about it in Revelation, Revelation 19, 11, And I saw heaven opened, and behold, a white horse, and he that sat upon him was called Faithful and True. In righteousness he doth judge and make war. And he was clothed with a vesture dipped in blood. And his name is called the Word of God. And the armies which were in heaven followed him upon white horses, clothed in fine linen, white and clean. The late night, talk show host will take his name in vain. The local college professor will mock him and make fun of him. But at the second coming of Jesus Christ, every knee will bow and every tongue will confess that Jesus Christ is Lord. And let me tell you something about the second coming. He's not coming as some little baby in a manger. So don't say, dear Lord, baby Jesus, because he's not coming back as a baby. He is coming back in a robe of white and a vesture dipped in blood on a white horse to the battle of Armageddon. And he is coming to bring judgment to a world that has rejected him. Friend, please turn to Jesus while you still can. Turn to Jesus while you still can. You can find hope in the coming of the Lord Jesus Christ. In our capital, 
in the dome of our capital, there's an inscription. Few people know it's there. But the inscription reads in the dome of our capital, it says, One far off divine event toward which the whole of creation moves. A man was on a tour of the capital and just happened to notice that inscription. He read it and asked the tour guide, what is that inscription talking about? And the tour guide said, I do believe that inscription is talking about the second coming of Jesus Christ. You see, when our capital was erected, some God-fearing official ordered that inscription to be etched in our capital, uh, thinking, believing that the truth to be of national concern. The decision was made that, that, that one day we would stand before God and give an account for everything said and done in this capital. All of creation is moving towards this event. Friend, one day we all will stand before God. But while that thought brings some people fear for us as Christians, it doesn't bring us fear, it brings us hope. It brings us hope that one day we will stand before Jesus, not only a hope of seeing him again, but a hope of being with him for all of eternity. When I share the gospel with someone, this is the question I ask them. If you died today, are you 100% sure you'd go to heaven or do you think you'd have some doubt about it? That's my, that's my question. When I share the gospel with someone, I always ask them the same question. If you died today, are you 100% sure you'd go to heaven or do you think you'd have some doubt about it? That's my question. And you'd be amazed at the answers that I get. The answers that I get are, I hope so. I think so. I'm trying to get to heaven. And when people say that, I love to take them to 1 John 5. Because I want to show them they don't have to think. They don't have to hope. They don't have to try. They can know 100% without a shadow of a doubt that they're going to heaven. 1 John 5.11 And the testimony is this, that God has given to us eternal life, and this life is in His Son. The one who has the Son has life. The one who does not have the Son of God does not have life. These things have I written to you who believe in the name of the Son of God, that ye may know, not think, not, not, not hope, that ye may know that ye have eternal life. My friend, if you leave this building this morning, I want you to leave today knowing 100% that Jesus is your hope. Knowing 100% you can leave today. You don't have to guess. You don't have to hope. You don't have to try. You can walk out of those doors today knowing 100% without a shadow of a doubt in your brain that you have a home in heaven. And it doesn't matter your need. It doesn't matter your background. It doesn't matter your occupation. Jesus Christ is the answer. And if you don't know him this morning, please turn to him as your Savior. These things have I written unto you that believe on the name of the Son of God so that you may know that you have eternal life. There was an evangelist 
who had a tent revival in a city. So a couple of days before the tent revival, he went through the city and he began knocking on doors, inviting people to come to the revival. He knocked on doors for several days and then one door, a particular door he knocked on, just so happened to be the home of a local community college professor. This professor invited the evangelist into his home. They sat in the living room and it became very evident to the evangelist once he sat down that all that that college professor wanted to do was argue about the Bible. The professor looked at the, at the preacher and said, well, let's talk about Noah's Ark. Do you really believe that, 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 uh, that Noah's Ark actually happened? I have several academic degrees. Let me explain to you the physics of why Noah's Ark couldn't actually happen. And the preacher just said, I believe the Bible. I believe what the Bible says. And then, he, and then, and then, the, and then the, the, the college professor went, out, what about Jonah? What about Jonah in the well? Do you really think that actually happened? Well, I know some things about biology. Let me tell you why that really couldn't have happened. And it just got to the point where every time that the professor would pose a question, the preacher gave the same answer. His answer became, he that hath the son hath life. He that hath not the Son hath not life. And then the professor would, would bring up another Bible story and try to explain why that couldn't have actually physically happened. And the preacher said, He that hath the Son hath life. He that hath not the Son hath not life. And then once again, the professor took him to another Bible story and tried to explain that one away. And once again, the preacher said, He that hath the Son hath life. He that hath not the Son hath not life. Till eventually the professor just got frustrated and kicked the preacher out of his home. That next week they had the tent revival. It was a very big tent. Hundreds and hundreds of people came every night. Tens and twenties and thirties every night would come down to the altar and receive Christ every night of the revival. It was a very successful tent revival. The last night of the revival, a man came down to the altar and the evangelist looked and saw it was that college professor. The evangelist went down, knelt beside that man, put his arm around him and said, you are the last person I ever thought I would see at this altar. The professor looked back at the preacher and said, he that hath the son hath life. He that hath not the son hath not life. Friend, do you have the sun this morning? Hello, welcome to the podcast at Chesboro Baptist Church. Uh, this morning, the speaker is Jeremy Adamson. He's uh, preaching for me since I'm on vacation. And the title of his message this morning is The Heart of the Church. Please enjoy. Enjoy. 